0: So welcome to the Ambulance Science Podcast. This is Scott Phelps, and I'm with my partner in crime, Maria Werner, and we're going to talk about uh, my recent trip because I'm uh, I'm a slacker, and I have a ton of airline points after COVID. So this past week, past two weeks, I was in Baltic Europe, and I went to see the EMS system in Helsinki, Finland, in Tallinn, Estonia, and in Vilnius, Lithuania. And it was a great trip. And basically, I'm just sad that uh, I was there all by myself. But uh, I figured have Maria is going to ask me all sorts of questions. Because as it turns out, and I didn't know this, but it's true. Uh, Maria, is her heritage is Lithuanian. Part so of it. Do you yeah. speak any Lithuanian?
1: I do not. It's the furthest lineage from me that there is <laughs> out of the five. Yeah. So, so not, not very,
0: even a word.
1: No, not even one. Although yeah. my last name is Lithuanian. It, it's supposed to be Vina. Okay. But uh, it was changed to Werner on Ellis Island.
0: By the damn Ellis Island people. You know, my family avoided yeah. the whole Ellis Island thing by getting here in 1630. So oh, perfect. there was barely a rocky shore. Um so it was an interesting trip and whenever i go on a trip uh i try to go and visit at least one ems system it it depends if uh my wife is with me or not because she will put up with only so much of me going to doing stupid ems stuff and i'm a little bit obsessive so I try to dial it back, but because my wife is Ukrainian and because I was going to Lithuania and because Vilnius is only about uh, 60, 70 miles from Belarus and things were a wee bit tense uh, two weeks ago. um, She didn't want to come with me, which is fine because uh, I, I'm not a scaredy cat and nothing happened and everything was okay. And I miss my wife like crazy. So I'm happy to come home,
1: but make you regret taking or not taking that travel assignment that was offered in Ukraine.
0: Uh, you know, I keep on thinking about that and I keep on looking at them, uh, but I don't do it, um, but I might, who mm-hmm. knows, right? Let's see what happens. Uh, oh, key thing I would is, have
1: accompanied you on this trip. Had you invited me?
0: But Would you? <laughs>
1: Uh, I would have thought about it.
0: I did it on miles and they were going to expire. So I had to go. And the other great thing is that uh, Baltic Europe uh, is not super duper expensive. Uh, One of the things that always strikes me as absolutely ridiculous, but true, is that it is cheaper to go from here to Europe than it is to go from here to Florida most of the time. So I went to Europe on miles and then uh, I didn't spend more than $100 a night for a room um, which is incredibly cheap by European standards and by any standards. I think in New York City, the average hotel is about $400 a night, and I didn't even spend $100 a night.
1: Wow. What's uh, your strategy?
0: Uh, just go on uh, Google or, or just search for hotels and then pick the one that has the highest rating for cleanliness. That's I don't care how big a hotel is. I really don't care that much at all what the hotel looks like. I just care if the damn thing is spick and span.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and every place I stayed was, was beautiful. Some places were super duper high tech contactless, not even like a, a check-in person. And some were like super old school hotels, uh, which were run by families, um, which were just as nice, just very different. Mm. So um, my first stop was Helsinki and Helsinki is uh a Baltic country it's a, 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 a sort of the, it sort of hinges between a Baltic and a Nordic country and sort of the difference is that um, the Nordic countries tend to be very high income, high social support uh, were not part of the Soviet Union um, and therefore tend to be way more expensive. As you go further east um, they get less expensive. Um, and then as you cross uh, the Baltic into uh, Estonia and you go further south, things get even more, uh, even less expensive as you go further south.
2: Hmm.
0: So it was, I uh, started off in the most expensive place. I ended up back in the most expensive place I was going to be at. Um, but Helsinki was beautiful. Uh, I avoided all the 90 degree weather that we had here at the at, for that week.
1: Good. Um, what was it, the temperature like there?
0: It was in the 70s, um, which is pretty doable. Yeah. Uh, better, better than the '90s, I'm sure. Uh, every how time,
1: how did I, you, you find their EMS system to be? You fire EMS. What was their persuasion?
0: Well, their their EMS system was would be very familiar to most of us in the U.S. So, one of the things i I've, I've seen EMS systems all over the place, all over the world, and one of the things that's pretty consistent is that the patients are all more or less exactly the same. Uh, the systems all function surprisingly in a similar way, but there's always little twists about how things work differently. So they have a fire EMS system where uh, you go to your fire uh, fire college, I don't call it fire college, it's like vocational training, before you get appointed as a firefighter. And then once you're appointed as a firefighter, you go to either EMT training, which is about a year, or you go to uh, they called it paramedic training, which is about three years. It's actually a pre-hospital registered nurse. in In all of these countries, mm-hmm. they 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 use the term paramedic, but almost everywhere where they use the term paramedic, that paramedic was a registered nurse who was so it was a specific track in nursing school. So it was um, they were sort of they weren't in with general nursing students all the time. It was a specific track. And there's a reason why, especially in the Baltic States, as we go further south, there's a reason why that is that way. We'll talk about it when we get to them. Um, so Helsinki, uh, they have uh, well, two BLS ambulances and one paramedic ambulance in the station I was at. Uh, they also had a regional medical supervisor and they had a physician. So the regional medical supervisor had a non-transport SUV um, and the physician, I think, also had an SUV, and uh, they would respond. So if the, if the medic unit was out and the BLS units needed medics, then the supervisor, who was also a paramedic, would actually respond with an uh, EMT and then go to the scene and provide care with the ambulance crew. Physicians were sent on specific uh, call types, they use medical priority dispatch in Helsinki. Um, so they were, it was structured in a way that was very similar. So, two of the things that I found most visually different was that uh, when they're on the ambulance, so they work 24 hour shifts. So, what they usually come in, they spend the first 12 hours on the ambulance and they spend the second 12 hours on the engine company or vice versa. But when they're on the ambulance, they wear all white. And then when they're on the engine company, or ladder company, they wear blues. So every time you come to work, you have to bring two sets of uniforms.
2: Oh, wow. Because
0: you're going to be changing halfway through. Uh, The other thing that I found, it wasn't so different, but it was just uh, surprising and stuck out, was that everybody was wearing clogs.
1: What kind of clogs? Like the wooden clogs?
0: Uh, No, just regular, like, you know. Just regular hospital kind of clogs.
1: So not because, like, you know, the Dutch like...
0: No, not, not Dutch goofy ones. No. <laughs> but I found it weird because you see a supervisor and he's wearing, you know, white shirt and he's wearing white pants and he's wearing clogs. And that's... So when I first came into the station, I thought this was a little sort of unusual. But the reason why is because they don't wear their boots into the station. So when they they wear boots on the job, Mm -hmm. and then when they come back to the station the boots stay right by the ambulance and they put their clogs on and they go upstairs so that keeps the boot stuff downstairs and Mm -hmm. the clogs keep the rest of the station cleaner which is true
1: our booties kind of but not booties clogs
0: clogs yeah Yeah. um so you know because you uh, everybody uh, there's not a single medic i know who will take their boots home you know boots either you know they go to work with you. They're at work with you. They're in your locker. You put them on. When you get off work, you put the boots in your locker. You put your shoes on. You go home. Those boots never go to your house.
1: Yeah, they don't um, cross the threshold.
0: Don't cross I'd the threshold. Stay in the trunk. <laughs> they're like vampires. Anyway, okay? they're vampires. They don't cross the threshold.
1: Boots are vampires. You're absolutely yeah. correct.
0: So I thought that was just unusual because it was just weird to see everybody in the station in clogs, but it makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um so their idea of a bls versus als is sort of a little more uh a little more open than ours like so even their bls units would give some medications and had a life pack 12 or the equivalent in, in helsinki they had or we were using life pack 15s the previous year they had just switched over to a different kind of, of monitor which does exactly the same thing um the medics didn't RSI, but the physicians did. Uh, but other than that, most of the medications you would see were all exactly what you'd see on a, at least in a New Jersey ambulance, where they have a bunch of medications. You know, they have about sixty medications in New Jersey. They had about sixty medications there. Probably the biggest difference in that was that the medications were all in ampules, uh, not in in glass, fully glass ampules, because that's. Uh, and that was actually common throughout all three systems. Uh, and that's, be- that, I'm not saying that that's why their bags were designed that way. Their bags were designed for ampules, but it's sort of like you, you can't get away from ampules, because if you were to try to use like the flip top ones, like we tend to use, they wouldn't fit
2: hmm. because,
0: because it's designed to fit the thinner glass ampoules uh, in their medication section.
2: Hmm.
0: So uh, they also had uh, ventilators, the ventilators that they they all had were way bigger than the ventilators i tend to see in the u.s um they were about the size of a bread box and they did like they're basically the same size as the monitor
1: were Um, they as big as like an alaris pump
0: uh i'd have to see that
2: one to know exactly what it looked like
1: i'm just wondering like if I'm trying to picture like a pump on an IV pole, how big that would be compared to like a pre hospital vent typically.
0: Yeah, no, it was it was about the size of a Life Pack fifteen. Okay. Um, it was huge. But that's what they all had. It, it was a brand that must be common in Europe, but it just seemed like you know, I'm used to seeing like uh, you know, vents and pumps that are literally, you know, the size of a, a really, really thick cell phone. And these were way bigger. Way bigger.
1: Wow. um Um, interesting so did they tell you if their pay is comparable to nurses if uh, they are nurses like in
0: Helsinki I think it is um I know that in uh Tallinn and Vilnius uh the economics are just very different and they all had part-time jobs multiple part-time jobs I think in in Tallinn the the director was telling me that there was one physician who had like eight part-time jobs and there was a flyer on their Facebook page that said that for, for new nurses or new uh, graduate physicians uh, that they would start at seven euro 50 an hour, which right now is about $7 and 50 cents an hour. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So when you see those, hear those numbers, you, you have to understand that the, their economy is structured differently Um. But at the same time, uh, you know, a Coke or a cup of coffee still costs at least a euro. Uh, Lunch is going to cost you five to ten euros. So they're not making a whole lot of money. Uh, In Tallinn and Vilnius. In Helsinki, I think they were actually paid well enough that that was their one and only job.
1: Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, what about their... uh, like? I guess like their level of care. So were they very critical care oriented, or were they more like nine one one? They were nine
2: one.
0: They were nine one one oriented, but in all of the systems, the physicians, uh, also did the a lot of the critical care transports between hospitals.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So in uh, Tallinn and Vilnius, where the physicians worked on the ambulances, they spent most of their time. Doing critical care transports hmm. um, in Helsinki, I it seemed like the physician was way more of uh, uh, on the 911 side, although I'm sure they also because they also did inter-facility transports as well. They have to, you know, it's ba- it's a balancing act. Now, in Helsinki, the, uh, the lowest priority calls, the fire department turfed those to private companies because... Oh uh they were like we're really here for emergencies and like transport
1: things yeah, that sounded like transports.
0: Yeah. It, a broken arm, a cut finger, that sort of thing was all yeah. turfed to uh, a private company or private companies.
1: What about the inside of the ambulance? What did that look like?
0: Uh all all of the european ambulances that i saw were were spotless which you know all three of the systems told me that they all work 24 hour shifts um and they also had their their ambulances were fairly busy doing somewhere like 15 to 20 jobs in 24 hours.
2: Mm-hmm. But these
0: ambulances were spotless. Like I when I was in Helsinki, I was I was there in the station for a couple of hours talking to people. And crew came back, they they take they, they'd done a job, they came back, they wiped down their whole ambulance, they took the stretcher out, cleaned the stretcher. Um you could have eaten off this apparatus apparatus um, in all three places.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it was
0: for, for a place that's supposed to be busy. And I am the white cloud because when I was there, all three places, no place was, was running around like crazy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, those ambulances were absolutely pristine in all, all three places, oh. which was weird because, you know, I'm not, I'm not used to ambulances being filthy, but I'm not used to ambulances literally being gleamingly spotless. I, yeah and that was what you saw pretty consistently nice. which is great right that's what we should expect that's what you know when 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 my mom calls an ambulance for my for my stepfather which happens uh with some degree of regularity thank you suburban ems uh who comes to pick him up uh i i want that ambulance hopefully to be spotless right so
1: yeah.
0: that's what we would
2: expect um
1: But the ambulance has, like, 300,000 miles on it, and they're just waiting to send it to bed.
2: You know,
0: it's funny because you would think that in these poorer regions, you would have the same thing, and maybe they had 300,000 miles on them, but it didn't seem like they did. There were some older reserve units that looked like they were maybe 5 or 10 years old, Mm -hmm. but... You know, they didn't look extre- you know, extraordinarily beat up. You could just tell they were a couple of years older than the brand new ones they tended to, to show me.
1: So you think despite whatever their mileage was, they were still looking pretty pristine? So it wasn't like just they were newer?
0: Uh, I think it's both. I think they tended to show like the guests, the brand new fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that they keep their vehicles in pretty good condition. Um, what did yeah.
1: they think of Scott?
0: Well, who knows what they thought of Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I try to go.
1: Did they have fun with you? Did they do anything fun?
0: You know, we we didn't do anything. I I tend, I'm not really interested in going out on jobs because honestly, jobs are all the same. The the only place I think that it would have been more interesting would have been I didn't go to Madrid this time, but I went to Madrid in the past. And uh, they have, Madrid has actually two different EMS systems they have a public one and they have a, a private one. And what I mean by that is they have. One system for events that happen in public, on the streets, and the subways, anywhere public. And they have another system if it happens in a house or is a transfer. Um, and so I visited the public one. And that's the only system where I would have been like, really like, how, how is this? I, doing street jobs, only street jobs would be fine. But um, I just can't fathom like the dynamics of that necessarily all the time.
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: So they let me go down the fire pole twice,
1: and no I didn't, and I,
0: and I didn't die. And I've done that before, actually. And they definitely
1: I, liked you then.
0: They definitely, they must have definitely liked me because <laughs> not once, but twice, we went down the fire pole.
1: Ooh! Um, Did they all go down with you, or are they just watch? Oh yeah, you yeah. They took, like, took videos like, and put like, them on Snapchat and TikTok.
2: Nope, they were like American
1: Scott. goes down fire pole.
0: <laughs> like you can go, you can take the stairs, you could go down the fire pole, and I was like. You know, mm. I'm always I'm always up to take a to take you know something that is not so common everywhere else.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I was wearing a, a, a backpack and it did get caught on the on the rim of the floor there, but I got through it. I, I didn't die. That's the <laughs> important part, right?
1: Did they take footage of this or
0: no? I, they took a picture of me for their um uh, their newsletter, which is great. Mm, that's cute. Um, but I, I it was a a great system. Um, I met a bunch of really nice people there um, everybody in Finland at least everybody in Helsinki who I met spoke basically flawless English nice. um which is kind of weird because you know it's 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 the language they use often enough but it's also not their language right and so
1: how many words did you know in their language
0: in Finnish this, this is the problem because I was going to four countries I, mm. I don't you know I speak some Spanish, some French. Um I can get along in a lot of languages. I could at least say bathroom and beer in probably twenty languages. <laughs> um but Finnish, Estonian, uh Lithuanian and Latvian, I got I got not a word.
1: But if you had your wife with you, then she would have been able to help you with the language. See that's a good way to con her into coming next time.
0: Sure, I guess so. So so that's Helsinki did um, you
1: mention they had some sort of a pullout tray system in their ambulance too
0: you know everything that they had um everything that they had was really like best in class like i i i'm used to working in in paramedic response units non-transport paramedic response units but the um the tray system they had was actually like super duper nice. And they, they had, a, that was manufactured in Finland that was uh, made there. And it was just a nice, really sturdy aluminum tray system that I think, you know, it, it's definitely something that if I was running a system here and I could find something similar, I'm not sure I'd be able to import it from from Finland.
1: Was it like a toolbox kind of?
0: No, it was just the the slide tray for the equipment in the back of the uh,
1: back of the van. Gotcha.
0: Was actually just designed to, um, just designed to be really, really functional. Um,
1: It sounds efficient.
0: Yeah. So, it was it was better than the than the ones I've seen here. Um. And so I think that uh, I was just impressed by it. And I mean, sometimes I'm impressed easily. That's it. So uh, then I was in Helsinki for a day, took the ferry to Estonia. And there's a, there's not a huge difference, but um, every one of these countries, uh, at least going from Helsinki to Estonia, was a very different experience. Estonia is probably holds itself out to be sort of uh, a, a one of the world's most dramatic techno-democracies in that it's a small country. It's under a million people. Literally, uh, one county in New Jersey is almost the size of the entire country of Estonia. Um, but since they've uh, left the Soviet Union, they've spent an awful lot of time and energy trying to figure out how to upgrade things and use technology better to actually make everything run better. And there was a bunch of examples of that. And a lot of the examples of it were kind of like just built into the way things worked there. So like the bus passes, like you could buy one by tapping your credit card. You could buy a a single fare bus fare uh, just by tapping your ATM card against the, bus fare machine. Um, And there's a lot of examples of that, about, you know, when a lot of their uh, system changed in the 90s, they had the opportunity to uh, reinvent a lot of parts of their society, both their society and their EMS systems. Now, the way it was was explained to me in Lithuania was that um, Estonia... When they joined the, All three joined the EU. When they joined the EU, they had a choice. And the choice was to either uh, get rid of their entire government uh, and start from scratch. Or to keep their existing government and have a longer transition into the EU. Uh, the way it was explained to me, Estonia got rid of their entire government, started from scratch, and therefore progressed much more rapidly into full EU membership. Lithuania and Latvia kept their government, proceeded in over a longer period of time, but then ended up, of course, in the EU. So it was all using the euro. Um, And it was, they just had a longer period. And you, you see there's some economic differences because Estonia was willing to sort of just jump in feet first. They became full members quicker and they developed quicker. So when you're in Estonia, uh estonians like to think that they're similar to finland and and they are similar similar to finland in a lot of ways um but their technology is was moving forward way quicker in all of these countries there was an enormous enormous amount of construction going on at all times um in Tallinn, they're using a a model where um it's sort of a public-private partnership model. So uh, Tillin EMS serves both the city of Tillin, which is the national capital, and also the region. Uh, it's bid out every four years. And then it's, uh, you know, they they have a, a transparent public bidding process. And that's fine. Uh, that's how they do it but I'm always sort of concerned about sort of what happens if your company loses the contract and another company gets it. Uh, usually the people stay the same, but the management changes. So you have to start from scratch again, sort of a, it, there's a lot of problems with the, with the Jack Stout models. I think I'm not mm-hmm. a huge fan of the, the whole Jack Stout model. Mm-hmm. Um, call volume there's really high. Uh, they have about a, a quarter of a million calls a year for a million people uh, because of Soviet cultural expectations. So during the Soviet times, ambulances were usually staffed with a physician or uh, a PA, which they called the Felsher. So you'd go to medical school and after your first two years of medical school, you'd have to pick a track. Uh, and the reason I know this is how it works is because my wife's Ukrainian. She grew up in the system. So... You go to medical school and so whether you're going to become a dentist or you were going to become a physician, you would go to the same school, the same medical school. So when you were about halfway through medical school, you could not continue and be be like a PA. Uh, And that person's called a felsher in the former Soviet states. Mm -hmm. And it's either physicians or felshers who staff the ambulances so they could all give you... Injections, shots, and you wanted to go to the hospital. So the Soviet model, people called the ambulance constantly. And in Tallinn, this is a real problem. It's a real problem everywhere in the world. It's a real problem here in New York. It's a real problem everywhere. But for them, I think it's worse just because of the expectation is still that even though their system has changed and it's more of a transport-focused system, Uh, the people who call still have a very low threshold for calling. And so they, they get paid by the government to run a certain number of units, but uh, it's not being run in the most efficient way possible. Now in Helsinki, the ambulances typically had two people on them in uh, Tallinn, they had three people. So Uh, A BLS ambulance would have uh, a lead RN, an RN, and an EMT. And the physician ambulances would have a physician, sometimes an RN, sometimes a paramedic, sometimes an EMT. Um, With the change in system structure in the 1990s from a Felscher and physician and driver model to a model, you know, when, when they stopped medical schools changed when they became part of the EU. So they don't make felchers anymore. So they don't have any PAs in most of Europe. Um, and so there's a couple left, but they're going away. So they replaced the Felschers mostly with nurses. Um, they didn't have paramedics for a long time. They had you know, nurses who fulfilled that role. And now I think a lot of their education uh, is, like like in Helsinki, is uh, a pre-hospital nurse specific track. They're not like usually generalist nurses.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they're nurses who specialize in pre-hospital care. And they sort of structure themselves all around.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they switched about 20 years ago. Um, like I said, Talin, uh doesn't pay uh, a wage which allows you to have one job um and there you know, there's only a limited number of ambulance companies in Estonia there's only 10 ambulance companies for the whole country but once again it's only a million people so it's not craziness
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: and they have their own ambulances they make in Estonia so Estonia is actually pretty well, I'm not going to say they're self sufficient for everything but they're self sufficient in making the ambulances so they make their own ambulances there so they get to be specialized but they were all in all three places than ambulances. Okay, so then I went to I went to Riga, but they were on vacation, so I didn't go to their EMS system, um, which is a bummer because you know I wanted I wanted to collect them all. Um, and then the fourth place I went was Vilnius, Lithuania, and um, they were you know they made the biggest deal, which is great. Like there was I did a presentation, they did a presentation on their system. Um, they had some other vendors present, they had people from the, 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 the National Department of Health there. Um, and then, you know, they, they treated me super, everybody treated me super nicely. Um, but like, they, they have a, one of those revolving restaurants up at the top of a big tower, we went to lunch there afterwards, it was it was absolutely brilliant. I was super stoked. Maybe
1: and- they were like, that American, he has such terrible health care. We should really be nice.
0: (laughs) We should at least take him to lunch, right? Um, So it it was, you know, one of the things I think I saw in Vilnius uh, was that um, their technology, their use of technology was really, really, really on point. So they had just, during COVID, they had restructured their dispatch center, so they, they restructured it into having only two dispatchers in a room. So they had multiple rooms with two dispatchers in them and glass paneling between them. And then they had a separate room for the supervisors. But then, and, and this is the part which sort of like, I guess gave me some insight. They said, we've got five, um, five cables coming from out at the dispatch center. There's no huge tray with bundles and bundles and bundles of wire. There's literally five cables that go between the dispatch center and the actual computer servers that actually control them. Um, So just their use of fiber optic, they had no raised floors, um in the in the drop in the drop ceiling they had you know trays, but there were not bundles and bundles of wire, which you'll see in any US dispatch center. There was literally five fiber optic cables, which
1: That's pretty impressive.
0: That's super impressive. Like when you you've ever if you've ever seen a dispatch center be built, you know in the US it's like a thousand miles of wires underneath the underneath the raised floor usually. Um They are much, uh, a much smaller footprint. Um, And then that technology also sort of was also evident in their ambulances. So they had redundant communications with both uh, radio and with voice over IP. So And then they had everything cross-connected with Bluetooth. So you would get um, a call and it would appear on the driver's tablet, which appears in front of them. It would map it with GPS. They could get the prior location history. The That information was also sent to the um, attendance tablet, which would import the data into their elements, which we do here. But it was custom, their, their EPCR was custom designed so that it took them on average about two minutes to fill out and they admitted that they didn't spend much time writing a very complex narrative, but the um, at the same time, being able to have your, your charting time limited to two minutes was amazing, because at least here, it's about 10 times that, about 20 minutes.
1: I'd say that checks out. Um, they don't usually consult me on how to build their dispatch centers, but when they do, I tell them less, wi- less wires. <laughs> less wires, less wires,
0: less wires, more uh, you know flexibility. Um, their ambulances also all had ventilators and had um, uh, life pack 12s. Uh, they used syringe style pumps, uh, not uh, drip chamber pumps that we're used to here. Um, so they would mix it in a syringe and then they would put it in the syringe and that's how it was delivered.
1: That's kind of like how they do it in the NICUs here. Yeah. because like dose meds, But
0: it, it just depends what you're used to and, and how you're used to doing it. But it was pretty, it seemed like it was pretty straightforward. Medications all were the same. Um, the one thing they had that I had never seen before that was cool was that they had a, a laryngoscope blade that had, uh, Another sort of, uh, so you'd have the handle, and then the blade had a, was attached to another sort of handle where as you, as you would pull it, it would pull the tip of the laryngoscope blade up. Now, in the U.S., I've seen the endotracheal tubes that do that, where you pull on the little ring and it pulls pulls the tip of the endotracheal tube up, but I've never seen it with a handle where you can move the tip of the um, endotracheal uh, laryngoscope blade
1: weird
0: yeah it was cool i was like i've never seen this before ever and it was i was like that's pretty cool i took a picture of it because i thought it was so cool um once again everything was in ampules um they they had a central station so they covered not only the city of Vilnius, but they also covered the entire region including there's a little thumb that sticks out into belarus which belarus had given to uh, lithuania in the 50s i think because it was a majority of Lithuanian city. Um, they were running 22 BLS ambulances and seven ALS ambulances. The BLS ambulances had a paramedic, nurse, and driver. The ALS ambulances had a physician, paramedic, and driver. Um, you know, they're, they, as the transition from the Soviet model, there's some stuff they've left behind. There's some stuff they kept and three staff on the ambulance is the, one of the things they've kept, um, once again, they, everything was in ampules and, uh, you know, they the system where you know, what they would send the, send the ALS units on with the physician was pretty similar to how it would be done in New Jersey. The one difference that I thought was a little odd um, was that they sent uh, physicians uh, on motor vehicle collisions. So motor vehicle collisions were an ALS call type. Um, I think, you know, they meant serious motor vehicle collisions with injuries, not like, you know, generic ones, because otherwise you'd be running around all day. Um, and it seemed like in, in most of the outlying suburban areas uh, at the substations, they were mostly all quote unquote BLS ambulances. So a physician ambulance would, would, would meet them uh, on the way to the hospital in Vilnius if they needed it. Um, in Vilnius, you know, all the stuff that you would expect, uh, trauma centers, they'd have, they have their regional trauma centers, they, you know, they don't, in, in the Soviet times, the hospitals were way more specific. So you'd have a maternity hospital, and it would have a maternity ambulance, you'd have a pediatric hospital, and they'd have a pediatric ambulance. You still have specialty hospitals, you know, cardiac hospitals and trauma hospitals. But you don't have that same uh ambulance model the ambulance models all been centralized so there's one ambulance system uh not hospital based and there's no separate maternity uh, ambulance system um or pediatric ambulance system so they were
1: hospital based before and now they're not hospital based
0: um yes that's the short answer um they, they might have been an independent service, but the maternity hospital still would have had the maternity ambulance. It would have been a specific maternity ambulance with a midwife on it. Um, and that's not all that weird in in the UK up until 20 years ago. And in fact, even today, I think um, they're supposed to send a midwife uh, on maternity calls. She doesn't come from uh, the NHS ambulance trust, but they're supposed to go. They just don't go anymore. Like, but if you go back 30 years, they did go sometimes then still. Um, and it, it, it makes sense where you have some degree of specialization, but there has to be volume there for it, right? Otherwise you're stuck with a maternity ambulance that sits around way more than it probably should or a pediatric ambulance that sits around more than it should. Um, you know, all these places, the, the way things worked were pretty similar. The care provided was pretty similar. Uh, the call types were pretty similar. The patients were pretty similar.
1: How about That's, the density of the area like versus how much service they had? Were you well, able to get into more detail about that with them?
0: Well, I, I know because I drove, I, I took uh, tour buses from uh, Tallinn to, to Riga, from Riga uh, to Vilnius. Um, I know that, the area around it is is suburban, but then once you get thirty or forty miles away, it tends to get to be fields pretty quick. Um, the one thing they didn't have in Lithuania, and I, I didn't ask in the other places, but they didn't have any helicopters because they're like, you know, we're not Vilnius is uh, Lithuania is. If I'm, let me see if I get this straight. I think Bilinus, Lithuania is about three million people. Um, and it's not very big. So they're like, we could pretty much drive anywhere in Lithuania. It doesn't, they don't need helicopters to get there. Um, and that's probably true. Uh, so.
1: But as far as like the coverage they have, meaning, um, you know, like we're in a staffing crisis right now with EMS in the US. Do they have that too there? or Are they adequately staffed for their population density?
0: I have no idea. They didn't complain
1: uh, about it though.
0: I, I know that they, I know that it's way busier than it used to be. Um, I know that they probably have staffing shortages because uh, their pay is not sufficient to, uh, you know, be make it, be a living in Lithuania and in Estonia. Um, so I assume they have staffing problems, but I'm not sure they have staffing problems i do know that it's um uh it's probably equivalent to here Um, uh, you know one of the paramedics i spent a lot of time talking to was actually educated in ireland and then came back to lithuania to work as a paramedic because that's where it, his wife lived at, so on and so forth
1: i wonder what the reciprocity is in europe um if it's any anything similar to how it is trying to switch state to state here. I know that we had an Irish guy come to the training center to work there and he was in the middle of his reciprocity. He needs to get his registry first for New York state for some reason.
0: Yeah, I know that UK ambulance services, I think more than 10% of London ambulance services, Australians. Um, I know they hired Polish medics specifically. Um, I'm not sure about, the mobility between most countries. You have the right to work between the EU countries.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: um and as long as you speak English, and most everybody spoke English. Honestly in, in Vilnius I had an interpreter because as you go further south, as it gets more poor, um, you just have less you know, it, this isn't like the tourism industry or being working in a hotel. Um, they didn't have to speak English all day long every day. So, in in Lithuania, I had a translator. Even though some of the people I was with spoke perfectly fluent English, not everybody did. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, And as you get further south, there's more. As it gets more poor, there's sort of also a different relationship with the former uh, how Soviet their society still was. Um, So they were they were not communists there, but it was. Uh, more Soviet in Vilnius than it was in Estonia, for example, which is a lot more militant. Although, although that said, uh, Lithuania is uh, probably the most militant country uh, in telling Russia to go scratch uh, in pretty much every way possible right now. Um, So one of the things I did ask was, I asked this both in Estonia and in Lithuania, was because both of them border uh, either Belarus or Russia, and I asked them both, did you ha- do you have any sort of, uh, you know, reciprocal agreements? Do you t- transport in Estonia? Do you transport patients to Saint Petersburg ever?" And, and they had said in the past, they did. Um, they had better relationships, better cross border relationships, but recently, over the past decade or so, they didn't have uh, as strong as a relationship with. Um, those other country countries EMS systems, which is actually surprising, because like I said in in Lithuania, there's sort of a, a thumb that sort of sticks into into Belarus, um, and that's actually part of Vilnius EMS's service area. So literally, it's not an exclave because it's not completely surrounded by uh, Belarus, but it's pretty close to it. Um, but they didn't really have any relationship with the Belarus, Belarusian EMS system, which is surprising to me. Um, you know, in all three countries, uh, the you know, the EMS people were the same as EMS people everywhere. Um, hardworking, uh, you know, three quarters of the way in uniform. And when I was in Helsinki, one of the crews came back and I, and I was like, is that the uniform shirt? Because he was wearing just a white long sleeve shirt. And the supervisor was like, no, that's not a uniform shirt. And I'll yell at him later about it. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I see. So things are exactly the same as everywhere else. Um, And it's true. Um, You know, whether you're a physician or a nurse or a paramedic or an EMT, um, the job's the same. The conditions are probably pretty similar to the same. You know, in three different places I visited, you know, one place is a a fire service based EMS where it takes a, it probably takes a long time to get on. Um, and you know other places there they're poor places so they they have ambulances, they have equipment, they have technology, but people have to work multiple jobs to make a living. So you know like anything else, um, I think it's interesting to see different places uh, and different systems. And I think that one of, the, one of my big takeaways is that where you have the opportunity to completely make over your system, whatever social upheaval has happened, if you get the opportunity to completely make out of you, make over your system, that makes a humongous difference in the way it looks even 30 years later. Um, I know that in, like, for example, in New York City, you know, ha- they've had an ambulance system and it has changed but it's also been around since the 1860s so that system has a lot of residual this is the way things work there because of the infrastructure whereas in all these places when the Soviet Union collapsed and they all became independent except Finland was never part of the Soviet Union um, they had the opportunity to start from scratch and make over their system. And I'm sure it was a giant mess for a while. But now you see 30 years later, like their use of technology, their ability to design systems, which sort of meet the needs of that area. Um, Even though, you know, like us, like everybody, they have problems with legacy things like people calling the ambulance for everything. But, you know, comparing it, probably the system that was the most different that I've ever been to was the Tokyo EMS, Tokyo Fire EMS. um, And it was because of a, a lot of the, the laws in Japan that stopped them from doing some things and also the culture that made them do some other things that were just unusual. But uh, for the there most there part...
1: examples of those?
0: Yeah, um, they don't have paramedics in Japan because their Medical Practice Act limits the ability to uh, provide advanced care to physicians. And they're having more and more doctor cars now, but they're not prevalent. So the EMTs at Tokyo Fire can start IVs, uh, can defibrillate, can give epinephrine at the time when I was there, it was only for anaphylaxis, but also for cardiac arrest. And uh, that was about it. So that was one thing. The other thing that was weird was that because of, they have private hospitals in Tokyo that um, when they would have a patient and they'd be ready to transport, they'd have to call back to a separate dispatch center and have them try to call to get the hospital to accept the patient. So they couldn't transport without getting the hospital to previously accept the patient. So they so they got dispatched by one part of the dispatch center. And then they had to call back to the dispatch center for they transported to get the patient accepted by another hospital. So that was a lot more complicated than that. That was the biggest sort of, system that was most different. Even in China, the system was hospital-based, but it was more intelligible. In China, probably the biggest thing that was the funniest thing to me was that I said, you know, I worked in in lower Manhattan in Chinatown for a long time. And in New York, uh, Chinese population only calls the ambulance when somebody's dying. That's one of the cultural axioms of the Chinese population. In New York, I said, here in, in Ningbo, China, which is a city uh, maybe an hour from Shanghai. Um, is it the same way? Do they only call when they're really sick, and they just laughed at me? They're like, "Oh no, they call for everything here." <laughs> um, so the cultural, the cultural expectation that I had from from Chinese Americans didn't extend to Chinese in in Ningbo, China. At least,
1: oh, I'm sorry that they didn't read the same stereotype books you did.
0: It wasn't stereotype books. It was just my it's just my experience that
1: anecdotal research.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they I'm sure they would have been ha- perfectly happy if that was the case. Um, so overall, you know, it was interesting. All van ambulances. I asked them, didn't they find them small? They were all uh, the ambulances in all three places were pretty much custom designed. They all had forward facing seats. Um, they all had uh, auto lift stretchers. Um, the thing that was different about the stretchers in particular. Was that the, the mechanism that lifts the stretcher is like ginormous? Um, it, it looks like it, now the stretchers can do like everything, and the seats the way they're built, they face forward, but you can rotate them three hundred and sixty degrees. Um, this the there was enough room to operate in the vehicles. They they had stair chairs. Uh, nice. I don't know if they had scoops. I assume they had scoops. I didn't pay much attention. I was
1: to that. gonna say, did they have like scoops or reeves or like what was their,
0: uh I'm not
1: sure. for transporting? I'm not them? sure
0: they had reeves, but uh, I'm pretty sure they would have had scoops. Um, the thing they didn't do is they didn't put the the uh, sheet in the stair chair, and they are uh, they
1: still immobilizing? Like, do they have head blocks and stuff or collars? Did yes,
0: they were they were collars. Um. You know, my, my guess is because the standard of medical care pretty much everywhere is, is motion restriction that they don't board, but they do have collars. Cause I saw collars, you know, open in the back of the ambulance. Um, you know, the, the care, the equipment is all, uh, what you'd see in a reasonably fancy American EMS system, um, the the management the structure the supervision the way things operate uh, the one thing they did do was uh, in some in the stations they round robin dispatched so there would be three or four units in a station and one unit would go out and then it would come back and then the next call the next unit would go out and come back and that's the last place I worked in in Elizabeth New Jersey that's how we operated round robin style where we all three units covered the whole area. We we went out in round robin style, but that always gave us an opportunity to come back to the station in between calls to, uh, you know, to do our charting and to have a cup of coffee and to do all that stuff. They did the same thing uh, rather than posting everybody out in or giving everybody a specific area. Like, so if ten units turn out of a single station, they didn't have like different pie slices uh, of the city. They all went out in round robin format. But it was a great opportunity. Um, I, I encourage people to try to see as many systems as possible. And often all you have to do is ask. Like there's no secret sauce to this, really. I just looked them up on the internet, sent them a letter saying, I'd like to come see your system?" And they were perfectly gracious. I've done this all they over did the sing world.
1: Be our guest to you or are they just They didn't think door- be
0: well you know in Vilnius they bought me a beer at lunch so there's that right um
1: were they drinking on lunch too
0: uh no of course not they did well the director <laughs> the director was there so yes they all had a drink at lunch including the director um one beer we all had one beer uh but the you know this is a great opportunity Totally this,
1: fine I'm sure it's fine.
0: totally fine it's fine um <laughs> To see how things, the ability to see how things work, it's always impressive. To first of all, to see that EMS is the same everywhere, paramedics are the same everywhere. Um, they're all, you know, proud of what they do. The jobs are all the same. It's cool, and uh, maybe I'm a big whacker, but I love seeing other systems. Maria, are you a whacker?
1: I'd say probably not, but. Uh... I, I relate to your circus comment and your email address. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's in my blood. So even, even uh, yeah, it's in my blood. Um, any comments? Are you going to go to Vilnius now? You're going to go to the Baltics?
1: I feel like I have to, because it's not really fair that you've been there and I haven't been there when I'm actually from there. I don't know what your actual heritages are, though, besides well, just your family being here forever since the 1300s.
0: So they came from England, but two generations before that, they were in Genoa. So does that make me Genoese? Does that make me Italian? Because Italy wasn't a country then, that's for sure. Um, I'm not sure what that makes me. A mutt, that's what it makes me.
1: Does it mean that your daughters are in that, like, Daughters of the American Revolution Society, or they, not they, really?
0: They certainly could be. Um, They could be. They flower society, all that kind of stuff. But no, none of that, because that's a little bit too hoity-toity for people like me. Um, if there was beer at the meetings, maybe I'd go.
1: That's true about most things.
0: <laughs> it is. <laughs> I. Don't, but keep in mind, like I don't drink... You've seen me. I don't drink many beers, but I like one beer. All the time. Fair. Yeah.
1: Nothing wrong with that.
0: All right. So... Vilnius. Next year, if I go to Vilnius, you're going to come with.
1: Uh, obviously.
0: Okay, that's fair. Because they said <laughs> they might bring me back. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So we'll that have to bring is... our
1: significant others because since you and I are the same person, they must also be the same person.
0: I don't know. Does, does, does your boyfriend speak with an accent? Because uh...
1: he does Greek accents.
0: Does he do Greek accents? Okay. He does. But can he, can he say Scotchick, Scotchick appropriately, right?
1: Uh, I don't know. Probably not.
0: Probably not. Okay. We
1: can work on it.
0: Okay. <laughs> so you'd be Marika, Marika.
1: <laughs> He'll work on it. Okay. All right.
0: So that's, Taking
1: notes as we speak.
0: Taking notes. That's EMS in the Baltic States. And mm-hmm. uh, I want to thank everybody from Filmless EMS, from Tallinn EMS, and from Helsinki Fire EMS for being such gracious hosts and letting, uh, letting, showing an American how your system works because I'm always impressed by seeing EMS systems and you always learn something whenever you go somewhere else. All right, Absolutely. Uh, any final comment?
1: Uh, no, uh, I feel like we have to start discussing what our next topic's gonna be. Unless you already have one picked out, then we can give them like a, a trailer, you know?
0: Don't have one in my head. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, i I'm, I listen. This is what I did for the past month. I took like the online flight paramedic course. I took the FPC exam, passed it, went away on vacation for two weeks. Now I'm back, um, goofing off for a couple more weeks.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then I have to figure out what I'm going to do next. So, uh, maybe I'll we should
1: up. talk about flight andor critical care paramedicine.
0: Oh, God, I don't know. I, listen, I took the course, I passed the exam. I'm going to get a patch. But I don't actually want to do it.
1: No, Um, I don't mean like the material. I mean, like talk about the system, you know, what's valuable about it? How is it weighted? You know, what does it do for people, uh, for society?
0: That might be a short conversation.
1: (laughs) A 15-minute segment. Actually, you did a podcast that was 15 minutes on the COVID vaccine, I think, didn't you?
0: (laughs) I probably did at one point. Um, Okay, we'll work on that one. Excellent i what well, we might have to bring in a, a friend of mine who was a flight medic for a, a long time.
1: We'll bring a ringer in.
0: We'll bring a ringer in. We we'll have to bring in a friend of mine who was a flight paramedic for about who was about flight paramedic for about fourteen a years.
1: Flight, flight ringer.
0: Yeah. Wanker. Well, you know, the problem now. See what 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 he would say is that you know back when the when the ground paramedics couldn't do RSI there was at least a reason. He's like now we're bus drivers because um, everything's done ahead of time, pretty much.
1: And womp, then well,
0: all we do is drive the bus. That's it.
1: Okay. So uh, next paramedic segment that we're going to talk about is, or ambulance science segment, I should say, is Womp Womp Critical Care paramedic. <laughs>
0: <segment>. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, see, the, the reason why I took the FPC course is because I was interested in doing ground critical care transports because they're complex and they're interesting and there's, there's stuff that's there. And when I was reading about it, I read that uh, if you have the FPC, they'll hire you as a ground critical care medic, but they won't hire you as a flight medic with your critical care paramedic.
1: Uh, that is correct.
0: So that's why I took the FPC. So and I'm glad I passed. After, you know, it's like the bar exam. I'm glad I passed. First, exam-
1: first uh, attempt?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. What did you use to study? Uh, I just took the FPC course from IA Med, which was great very entertaining. Uh, really like it, they do a really good job and, uh, they, uh, the exam, I, I'm a good exam taker. So, uh, God bless that I passed because it was a hard exam. Um, but like the bar exam, I, I, am not sure I would have taken it a second time.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we so. have a joke in, in my office cause my supervisor took the, uh, critical care paramedic course with me and I drooled over the side of my desk for every single class segment and she took copious notes and highlighted underlined and then we got two points different on the test.
0: See, (laughs) you're a better sponge than she is.
1: We're the same, Scott.
0: Exactly. Once again. All right. With that said, Maria, thank you. Uh, And I will talk to you hopefully in the next couple of weeks with a new topic.
1: Excellent. I'm waving like you can see me saying goodbye.
0: All right. Have a great day, everybody. And thank you for joining us for
2: the Paramedic Science Podcast.